Welcome to the Board Game Community Show. I'm your host, Riley Stock, and today we've got an awesome guest, an awesome member of the community, Bez. Hello, and thank you for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you. I feel like you are one of the just like most positive, friendly, (laughs) nicest people on Twitter. Oh, that's very kind of you. And I love the fact that you say one of the, because, you know, sometimes if you're feeling a wee bit low, you can listen to someone else's description of someone else and then it gets a wee bit envious. And then that's one of the, yeah, because yeah. other people are also equally friendly and awesome and super amazing. <laughs> but we can all be super amazing together. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not into hyperbole. Let's not pretend you're the absolute number one best. (laughs) I appreciate that. And if you, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not, but. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll let you guys decide. (laughs) Anyway, seriously, um, yeah, let's. I want to say, so we're doing video. The listeners can't see this, Mm -mm -mm. but I have literally never seen you not wearing red. Is your entire wardrobe red? Most of it is. So I am wearing burgundy leggings. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, um, kind of. And yeah, I sh- I'll tell you the story. So it all started back in 2015 when I just had printed in a bind. Now it's known as Yogi because Jigamic licensed it. Or exactly the same by Yogi. Blah, blah. But I just released it. I was going to UK Games Expo as a volunteer and I didn't have my own stand, but I wanted Kickstarter backers to be able to pick it up. I said, okay, when I'm not volunteering, I will be, how can I help people find me? What have I got that could stand out? Wait a minute. I've got some red shorts. I've also got a red jacket. And so just with these two items, I said, I will be wearing red. And so... I think I might have had three items of red clothing. It's not like they went perfectly together or anything. It's just (laughs) that they were all red. And then someone came over and said, oh, you said you'd be wearing red. I thought you'd have like one item of clothing, but here you are. You're completely red. (laughs) Because apparently wearing like two or three items of clothing, it leaves a big impression in people. And then as I walked around, someone said, oh, I heard there was someone entirely in red. And so when it came time to plan a trip to Essen, As someone who was hopefully going to sell a bunch of games, I was thinking, how can I get people to notice me? How can I, you know, build up some sort of brand? And I was like, okay, maybe I should get a bunch more red outfits. There was a time in my life when I went into charity shops in Glasgow. There are a couple of charity shops where they take the stuff from the other charity shops, which hasn't been selling, and then they knock the price down to one pound. So you can buy like a full jacket or really nice trousers or a dress or anything for one pound, no matter what it is. And it's just like I would walk in, anything that was red that I thought might possibly fit me, I would buy. And then over the years, it's reached a point where, yeah, I'm not seeking red clothes anymore. I do have enough red clothes, but slowly other colors have (laughs) removed themselves from my wardrobe. The one thing I'm a little bit short of, or the few things that are not red, do include some warm jumpers for winter and, yeah, some sleeping clothes and, 
yeah, some private um, underwear that no one would really see anyway. But <laughs> let's not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Thanks so much for sharing that story because that's incredible. You're very <laughs> the welcome. The origin of red. <laughs> it just basically became a thing. And I have turned more and more of my wardrobe, even some of the bits that no one will ever see, into red just to be like, yeah, it's kind of festive and I kind of feel... If day to day, I will, I will generally wear whatever color, but that normally happens to be red because of that's the way my wardrobe is. <laughs> but when I'm at a convention, I make sure that it's not just red with a print on it. It's not just oh, everything is red, one hundred percent, as much as I can. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do the normal questions. There's two normal questions sure. at the start here. Kind of well, you're a designer, so you get the extra ones. But what what brought you into board games? Well, so my first memory ever, and I hope you can make the sound something so that it won't hurt people's ears, is of <laughs> so that is it's very similar to an old style modem, but this is the loading screen to a ZX Spectrum if you're familiar with it, when you would load the tapes in and you would spend about 10 minutes in front of the computer, my siblings were doing this. And at that time, I didn't really know what a television was, but I had some vague idea. This was possibly before I even had a real understanding of the world. But I knew that there was this magical box where pictures appear and sometimes you can change the pictures. But then suddenly, here were my siblings you know, pressing buttons and doing things and all the lights were changing and it was amazing, like they were wizards. I fell in love originally with video games, but I do think that as a family, we did play Monopoly and Risk and I bought some games that never came with the rules and so, yeah, tried to imagine what those rules might be. And as time went on, I just fell in love more and more with games of all sorts. I think part of it is that I find the world sometimes incredibly confusing. I like certainty. I am somewhat probably on the autistic spectrum. I've never been diagnosed, but multiple people have said to me, oh, you're, are you? And then I've taken some tests online and everyone has said, you're probably autistic. But I've never been clinically diagnosed or anything. I just want to make that clear. But I like having rules and games offer that. Games offer a chance for escapism when it's a role-playing game. I really got into modern board games, which I think might be really what people are wanting to hear about, through boardspace.net. So this is a website, kind of like Board Game Arena nowadays, but it's all about more abstract games. So you could play Hive, you could play Pelago, you could play all sorts of things. And I was like, wow, I just wanted to play Go and learn Go because I'd heard about this ancient Chinese game and I wanted to investigate it. But there's all these games that have been invented in the last 20 years and they're all really good. Wow, these I just wanted to explore what was going on. And then I found an amazing website, Board Game Geek. And then there were people on there in the local city who were meeting up and anyone could email and then say, hey, I'm not going to... Yeah, like, I guess they had a sense of these people are cool, these people are not okay, but if you emailed and said, hey, I'm interested in trying out some board games, 
then they said, sure, come over. This is this person. This is this person. <laughs> this is this person. So you have an idea of the people before you come in. Who are you? What do you enjoy? And I was like, oh, I've not really played anything, but I've looked on Board Game Geek, and these games sound exciting. These games sound exciting, but I'm totally new. I've never played anything. And first time I went there, we played Lost Cities, because I arrived with a friend slightly late, so they said, okay, you're slightly late for the main game, but play Lost Cities, and we'll teach it to you. And then after we'd played that, we got a shot of Puerto Rico, which at the time was the number one rated game on Board Game Geek, and I was thinking, wow, straight in there. And I just fell in love with everything. I think that I had always wanted to be a game designer, but before I thought that I wanted to be a video game designer and I've got more and more respect for not just board games, but role-playing games and, you know, silly games that you just think about for a moment or games that govern your real-life behavior. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. And uh, what... So from that, did that lead you into the game design world? Well, so... that kind of came much earlier. Again, I think oh, okay. that that was back... So literally, when I was maybe 10, I would play a console game and then I would draw maps of imagining how side-scrolling things could have surprises. And then I had a map of like castles that people could, you know, escape or whatever. I used to... You know, um, Fighting Fantasy, the old game books, they're very uh, popular in the uh, UK, but I'm not sure if it ever made it over to the USA. So, you know, Games Workshop, yeah, I don't right? Know it. Yeah. But, so, Games Workshop, one of the earliest things that Ian Livingston from Games Workshop did is have a publishing deal for these books called Fighting Fantasy. And I think there's about 60 of them now. And they came out so frequently. There were multiple every year and there was this big series. They were struggling to keep up with demand because people had a voracious appetite and it would be very medieval fantasy. The first one ever, you were just venturing into a dungeon trying to navigate this river of undead people and overcome the dragon and escape with the warlock's treasure. So in a way, like you are really... Are you even really the hero? You're just going in to steal treasure. I mean, as you could say for a lot of Dungeons and Dragons stuff. But I got inspired to try and write my own stuff. And when I was thinking about being a board game, sorry, a video game designer, I'd read somewhere on the internet, oh, if you want to do this, really what would be good practice is to make a game using card games, traditional cards. And so I had to go at that. I made a game where... Your cards are expanding and it's kind of like fungus growing because the higher cards get played and then you spread, grow this big grid of stuff. And I thought, okay, this is cool. It totally didn't work and it would need a lot of work to make it playable. But, you know, I played it with at least two people who weren't me. And that was the thing. And it was really when I came to London not too long ago, about 10 years ago, that I was able to get into game design properly. Because up in Glasgow, I was able to make games and then be proud of them and say, hey, would you be willing to try this game? And if people liked me, or if people were curious enough, sure, they would say yes. But when you do that, it's there is kind of a bit of a favor, especially at the start of any designer's career, they're going to make some bad stuff and they're not going to be able to know how to jump into the better stuff. But even now, all my 
first attempts at games, quite often I say to people, yeah, this is probably terrible. I'm not sure. It might be okay, but I'm not <laughs> sure. And But you need people with whom to play this. And it was coming down south, Playtest UK, organized by Rob Harris, and there's other people involved, Matthew Dunstan, Brett Gilbert, who would show off their things. And then I went, I think, maybe one time without my own thing. And I was like, okay, brilliant. This is how it all works. And then that ability to go to a playtesting group, it gives you, it just means you can do it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. I I have a playtest group here in Utah. Amazing. And it's so nice. So nice to be able to, I I found out about them just at the start of the pandemic. (laughs) Oh, no. So I only got to interact with them online and then we finally started meeting earlier this year. So you're uh, going to get into safer. design yourself soon? Yeah, I've, I've been doing it kind of for seven years, but like you were talking about, you know, where mm. I, I... Like where you can't no really idea. show it to other people and you can't... Because it's, yeah, sure, you can make the stuff and then you can play test it yourself and maybe you show it to your best friend. But then exactly. when you actually show it to your peers, that just rockets your stuff up there so much it's amazing what a difference that makes yeah and just having those different eyes on it you know like mm. I, I brought a game that i just i i was very down on it myself i was like i'm kind you know like this game i had a concept it seems okay but it's very memory heavy and i i don't think it's I, i'd barely call it a game you know like i downplayed it so much and i brought it to the <laughs> playtest group and they were like oh this is really cool like it's a cool concept we haven't seen a mixture like this before so and then they gave you know like they give you one or two compliments and then there's like a (laughs) hundred criticisms which are great like awesome feedback Mm -hmm. to to make your game better and then there's of course the like change your game completely (laughs) i mean if you tell someone to change their game completely then that's maybe a bit much because it Ideally, as a designer, when you're giving feedback, you don't want to be just telling the other person, this is the game that I would like to make, or even this is the game that I would like you to make. Although you can say that, but be aware and tell them that that's what you're doing. I have said at certain points, personally, this is what I'd really like you to make, but that might not be the game you want to make. Because you have to let each designer have that vision themselves. Because I think as a designer, you are almost a curator of these ideas. Not only the curator of the ideas you have yourself, but also the curator of the ideas that you see in other games. Because nothing, there's so many mechanics that you take from here and there and everywhere, but also the curator of the ideas from all the playtesters that you have, all the designer friends that you have, all the feedback that you get, you have to learn what to listen to and what to ignore. And that's the difficult bit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And at first it can feel heartbreaking because it's like, that's my baby. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not, you know, well, it is. It is your baby. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like even your babies need to grow up at some point. And it's not about, like you know, if you're the kind of parent who wants their child to turn out one specific way, that's not being a good parent. I think that you need to allow your child to grow into what they really are, to let them discover who they are for themselves. And, you know, 
if your child really wants to be a punk rock star, but you're not super into punk rock, I don't know why I picked that <laughs> random example, but maybe you're just like, okay, if you are going to do it, well, here's some stuff that might help you on your way to be a punk. And maybe something like that, you might, might need a backup plan. But then again, you might say, well, <laughs> if you are okay with not turning very much, or maybe you focus on other things, you try to make it as the best version of that game or that child as possible. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Hope absolutely. The metaphor is clear for everyone. I'm sure I kind of overdid it. <laughs> no, and actually, I feel like that kind of segues pretty good into the L deck because you designed a, a system, really. It's mm-hmm. not a single game, it's a game that you designed multiple games out of as well as other people can Mm. go and play with this deck and make their own games. And I absolutely love that concept. And and I think it's very well done. So do you want to talk about how you came up? Well, I guess, do you want to explain the L deck a little bit and talk about how you came up? Sure. I mean, I can explain both in one go. So in 2015, back when I was meant to be doing the art for In a Bind, now known as Yogi, but I was struggling. And what I realized is, hey, Bez, you don't want to just hit your head against the wall and just do this one thing. Because sometimes when you've got one thing that you know you need to do, there is this temptation to say, I'm not going to give myself any pleasures. I'm not going to give myself any rewards until I have done this one thing. And that kind of feels destructive. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I think that what I decided to do, inspired by Matthew Dunstan, was to start a game design blog every day i would come up with an idea for one new game so that the next step would be to prototype it i think i went through about 80 something days of this and maybe five ten of them at most were ever properly explored but one of them was the fifth one that i came up with I think I called it 2015.1e because it was like just, I didn't want to have the burden of giving them all names when you come up with 80 right. things. I mean, it's a lot to name that many things. So it was a word game. The idea was very much inspired by Prolix, now known as Wordsy by Gilhova. And that's a fast playing word game. You can use any additional letters you want. And I was very much inspired by those two things. I thought to myself, how could I make this and take what I love about it, but simplify it to its most extreme point? And so I was like, okay, what if you have to qualify for everything? You have to use every letter that's in the middle. And okay, you do that and then you keep going. Okay, that seems like it's going to just be the same. How can we make it ramp up? Maybe each time you win, you take one of the cards and then that gives you another obligation that you definitely have to use in your words. Okay, well, what if you end up with multiple, like five ends? That seems a bit ridiculous. Well, what if each of the cards has two letters on it? Because then you can use the other letter if one of the letters isn't very valuable. And this basically became Wibble. And from that initial idea, it was basically just keep going until one person gets five cards, they win. And then the final game, which turns that and extends it to make it multiple rounds. But at the same time, as I was doing all the other 80, hey, here's a bunch of games that could be made, some of them could have been played with the same deck. 
I thought, oh, this is interesting. Maybe this does have possibility as a game system. I loved the idea of the Looney Pyramids. I loved, you know, the fact that with a traditional deck of cards, I can buy that for literally one quid, and then you get access to so many games that are available on the internet. I think that's fantastic. I wanted to do something similar, but maybe for word games. I investigated everything. I thought of some games. I went to UK Games Expo 2015. This was all the same year. And I had ideas for a storytelling game, for a quick grabby game. But it was someone else who had the idea for alphabetical. It was Andrew Dennison who had the idea of grabbing cards as quickly as you can and putting them into an order based on the alphabet. These weren't letters used to make words or letters used for their power in language or anything like that. It was literally just using them in an order and saying, hey, if you miss a bunch of letters, that's fine. But once you've skipped JKL, you can't ever go back to it. So are you going to miss them or are you not? And that was an interesting decision. And that was the thing that made me realize, okay, this should be a game system. So first edition, you got the deck of cards and you got five games with it. Second edition, you got the deck of cards and six games with it, all in nice little rule sheets. And there were already a bunch more online. And after that, that was 2019, that the 2017, the first edition finally came out. 2019, the second edition came out. And next year is going to be the fifth year anniversary. And I'm actually changing the model so that in future, there's going to be decks with different typography. So you can choose, do you want something that's based around trees? Do you want something that's a bit more standard typography? Or do you want something where it's graffiti inspired? And the future decks are only going to have rules for one game in the box. So they're going to be focused on one thing so that that one game, the energy and the mood of it and everything can be expressed with the box art and the cards and everything can be more of a cohesive package. But there will always be one bit of paper that says, oh, by the way, you have bought this for just one game and we hope you enjoyed it. But there are so many other games you can play and go over here to this website and you will find so many other games. And if you enjoyed this one, here are some recommendations for the next game to play. And that's the thing I want it to make. So I want it one day to be the best curated game system in the world. And I know that's quite a lofty aspiration, but that's my goal. (laughs) I love it. And I think it's, I just think it's genius. I have fun. You I haven't seen you do it in a little bit, but you used to post just a display of cards and say, like, what words can you come up with? Or, you know, like, kind of do a little mini game of it. And, oh, that, and so if that. you go onto Twitter, it's actually from another account, and then I started oh, getting right. someone else to help me, and it, I'm so fortunate. So it's twitter.com slash ELL underscore deck. And what goes on is that we try and have free games a week and there's little mini games it's like oh here's a little game that you could actually play if you had the cards but even if you don't have the cards or maybe just are browsing through twitter and you want something to occupy yourself for maybe 30 seconds to one minute here's something going on yeah and i love it and that's kind of how i got introduced to it very at the very start i started seeing those and and then i think you would reply or retweet them sometimes or or essentially that just segued me into 
the awesome designer behind it. <laughs> so. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, it's still very much uh, work in progress. And, you know, speaking of other games and speaking of community, which is what this whole show is about, like I very much want to build a community around it. So this year, I well, I have had, I want to say, three design contests for games. Um, the first four, the first one was won by Tom Cauldron with a game Categorical. The second one was won by Paul Mansfield, Unfinishable. The third one was Joint Winners, Xate and Alex Cannon. And yeah, this year is the fourth. So this year is going, we've had 18 entries and I'm going to, I've been playing for all of them. I've just got a bunch of solo games to test. And then at that point, I'll be like, hey, have I gotten the rules right? I'll be considering them for another month. I'll be doing some development. I'll be in communication with all the designers. And by the end of the year, They'll really have been put through their paces and I'll be saying, okay, this is the best game out of everything. And here are the games that I'm going to rewrite. I'm going to present to everyone saying, hey, like, and also the thing I want to do this year, I know it sounds maybe like I'm not credit. I am not crediting the designers just yet because I wanted to anonymize them for the initial consideration so that once I get to the top five, what I'm going to do is rewrite the rules and say to everyone, hey, these are five games. There are five brilliant games, and we, these are still under judging. If you want to join me in judging these games, then please feel free and tell us what you think. So everyone, so everyone can literally be judged by their peers, which I think is quite a cool thing. Yeah, and anonymously, th- which is very nice and and kind of helps segue or like helps uh, alleviate that like uh, bias, natural bias. Mm-mm-mm. Because, like, in the second year, one the winner was someone that I personally know. And so being able to anonymize it and then present it to other people and see, like, yeah, they actually also think this is the best, that was really helpful to me. Because I am, at the end of the day, going to be the person who makes the decision. There's no sense of it's done by public votes or anything like that. No, it's not done by public votes. But if <laughs> everyone thinks that game X is the best game, and I think that it's not, then I will reevaluate my own beliefs and I will have a look at my own things and think, okay, unless there's some shady shenanigans going on here, clearly Game X should be winning, no matter what I think. But it's all <laughs> done kind of on an ad hoc, by the case basis. I'm always trying to improve each year. And this year also, we've had the first ever typography contest. I don't know if you saw these. I didn't. So I invited people to write T-H-E-L-D-C and K, which spells out the L deck. We had, I want to yeah, six people who entered. We had someone putting in sketches of how the letters could be made out of cats. We had someone putting in some fairy tale thing with squirrels and everything. We had someone else do like a 70s art with swirls and rainbows. We had other people putting photographs into the textures of the letters. But the winner for this year was a hand-painted watercolor bunch of what I would call almost storybook-style letters, all in green, but then with mushrooms growing out of them, just randomly. And it was just beautiful. Every letter was a different mushroom, and it really showed off not just elegant letters. The letter shapes themselves were perfectly readable, and the ascenders and descenders and everything was spot on. But then you've also got these beautiful mushrooms. And we judged them based on visual appeal, legibility, and 
kind of theme, but when I say theme, I kind of want to mean, is it evocative of anything? Is there mood? Does it look different? I want something a bit more decorative than just something you'd find in a book, if you know what I mean. And so Emily Brownshaw was the winner, the illustrator of those mushrooms. I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to applaud Emily Brownshaw. Yeah, I I actually think I remember seeing that as you described that, either you just described it so well that I can visualize (laughs) it, or I remember seeing it on Twitter and being like, well, that's really pretty. So that's cool to hear about that. Yeah, because one day, I mean, Categorical, which is coming out, is already a game that I didn't design, but I did develop. And Couple is going to be the next version of the L deck, and that's something that's not painted by me. And I want to be more and more, hey, I make some of the games, I paint some of these letters, but one day there will be a deck with games that are not by me and letters that are not by me. And that will be a proud day. And so I'm just really excited to see what the future is. And every game that I play with people submitting it, it's just a continual delight to see all the energy and all the love and the support. And I'm sure you feel it yourself. Like, we are not islands. Like... It is ultimately 100% down to everyone who gives me so much help. Well, that is awesome. And I mean, that's the whole idea of this show is that we, <laughs> we're we all together. We're all in this hobby together. And it, for some of it's a hobby, some it's a career. Some, you know, like it's really fascinating to hear all of the different like areas. I don't want to say corners unless it's like a... I don't know how many sides to that there are because we have like hobby, you know, there's all these different categories that we all fit in, but we're all in that same space. I mean, Dodecahitron, that's got lost. Ah, I know that's what I was thinking of, but yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We can Uh, go anywhere we want with this metaphor. You could say all these different strands of grass intertwined together on a field. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And then... Football players go and kick balls all over us. <laughs> oh, man, that doesn't sound very pleasant. Oh, dang. Yeah, I guess the football players um, kicking the balls, that would be something like the shipping situation or the <laughs> um, pandemic. I don't know. Yeah, both, both, yeah. Brexit, sorry. I, I'm going to try to not be political. No, that's okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I deviated from my original que- or my one of my standard questions, so we'll just insert that right here. What's your? Do you have a favorite favorite board game? Go. What? Oh, do you want me wow. to elaborate? Bam! Immediate. Yeah, I've never played Go. So what do you Seriously? love about it? Yeah. Oh, it's one well, I'm interested, it, but I feel like it's intimidating. So- like, why have you yes. not tried it? Exactly. I, I look at it and I'm just like, oh, this looks so elegant. But also, I don't understand the concept. And to be fair, I haven't looked too much into it. But it's like, you see it on TV shows or movies, <laughs> people playing it. And I'm like, it looks cool. And they look smart playing it. But I <laughs> never know. <laughs> I think that if you put anything in monochrome, you're going to look smart playing it. It's true. Like, <laughs> even like, And I think almost like the simpler the pieces, the smarter you look. But um, in all seriousness... I would advise someone who is wanting to play Go but is maybe a little bit intimidated, start by playing against a computer, set on easy. There was a day when people said, oh yeah, computers, especially internet computers, are way too easy, you don't want to even bother playing against them. 
But that's maybe true once you're at really, really high standards. And of course, we, well, people listening to this show might be aware that Google managed to dethrone the humans, you know, just a couple of years ago when the AI finally managed to beat the humans, which was a really real landmark in computational thinking. So, like, some people like that about it, that, hey, this is a vestige of human sensibility that we're still almost as good as the computers. But for me, the real reason why I love Go, yes, it's elegant. Yes, it's simple in its rules, but it has amazing emergence complexity. Yes, there's a beautiful arc to the game. So at the start, you're like, oh, I don't know exactly what I'm doing, so I'll place it here. But those moves matter a lot. And then you get to the middle of the game where you start having more of an idea of what's going on until you get to the end and then everything's carved out. And because you're placing rather than moving, the game always comes to a natural end as opposed to chess, for example, or drafts, which can end potentially in a stalemate. That will never happen in Go because you're going to fill up the board and then boom, it's over. I would advise you to play against a computer, and once you understand the rules, you don't even need to be able to beat the computer. Once you understand the rules, see if there's a local Go club and go there and try to play someone. What they will then do is they will give you nine handicap stones, so you start off with a bit more presence on the board, and they will probably beat you anyway because you're new to the game, but they'll kind of consider it a teaching game and give you some advice along the way. And slowly you'll get better. And yes, it's a lifelong journey if you want to be really good. But if you just want to have an awareness of, an understanding of the game, I would say uh, maybe 20 games. And also the other piece of advice I would say is start playing on a 9 by 9 board because that all the rules are exactly the same, whether it's 9 by 9 13 by 13 or 19 by 19 which is full size. And 9 by 9 you still understand everything. And just by finishing the games and seeing how it finishes, you'll have understood it. That is fascinating. I, I feel very motivated to go and play it. I may try Excellent. and play it before I put this episode out so I can add at the end, like, I tried Go. <laughs> that would be amazing. And, you know, if you don't, then that's obviously okay. I mean, we are humans <laughs> with limited time and limited energy. But I would exactly. very much encourage you, if nothing else, play against a computer, find the easiest AI that you can and just try to, yeah, play against it, learn it, then go to a Go Club and everyone will embrace you because they want more human players. As yeah. we all do. All of these games are social. Yeah, which I think segues, man, we've got a lot of smooth segues here. You are <laughs> setting me up left and right for them. Playtest UK. How's that? Um, Playtest UK, that's a fantastic community. I think that actually I need to start putting things back up because we have just restarted. It's yeah. super exciting. So if you're not aware, in the UK, the lockdown situation is a little bit different to the USA. We had proper lockdowns where everything was shut. You weren't allowed to go into a pub. You weren't allowed to go to a community space. You weren't allowed... You were allowed to go to the park in an open air space as long as it was one hour, up to one hour of exercise a day. Although they said that, but if the point was it had to be, you couldn't just be hanging out in the park. 
And they had put ribbons around all the exercise machines because they didn't want to endanger people who are touching the same machines as other people. But now things are starting to open up again. And Royal Festival Hall is still only opening up at 12 o'clock, South Bank. But before the pandemic, we were meeting up every Friday from 10 o'clock until 4.30. We would playtest a bunch of people's things. We would be there the whole day. And then one Sunday every month was a thing where even if you work Monday to Friday, you can join in. And then once a week, there was something on on Monday in North London where that was on an evening. And then once every couple of weeks, there was something on in, in South London that was in a pub. And ultimately... It's a way that people are brought together to say, hey, there's a bunch of designers. We all want to playtest each other's games. The basic rule is give as much as you take. If you have a five-minute game, I mean, it's never going to take five minutes to actually playtest it, but you can playtest that a few times. You might have some discussion. Maybe it takes half an hour. That's fairly optimistic. But let's say it's something that takes half an hour and there's five other people involved. That means that you've kind of taken two and a half person hours from the group. And so that means that by rights, you should be spending at least two and a half hours trying out other people's stuff. In a group where maybe if you wanted to have one person trying your thing for five hours, well, that's actually not using that much more resources because again, it's only one person, but hopefully you will give back. And so it doesn't mean that, hey, you tested my thing, I'm going to test yours. But it does mean, hey, you tested my thing, I am going to definitely test someone else's, but someone else should test yours. Like if you're at the start of each day, Rob Harris had a big principle of we all divide into groups and then people give a little pitch and say, hey, my game is a worker placement game where we're all giant robots smashing each other. Hey, my game's a little game about literally throwing corks into the air and trying to catch them with butterfly nets. I mean, I'm just spouting off random ideas here. <laughs> and someone else says, okay, my game is about, uh, it's an abstract strategy game for two players. Now, what will happen is people then go to those chairs. So, people who are playing the games will be actually interested in that kind of game. Sometimes there's a little bit of a shortage of people, so you might end up having to play something that's not your favourite. But if you're really in the mood to play Ellie Dix's game, which is about people throwing down their hats and then walking over other people's clothes in some weird gallantry thing, which is actually a real game, um, then you can, as long as you're not beaten to the chase by all the other people, if you want to go and play, you know, at, um, Kieran Simington, and this is another random name dropping from Playtest UK, game about like war and really getting into the weeds and really pondering things in a strategic analytical way, you can. And everyone will give the feedback based on games that they were prepared to play, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that's really cool. We here in Utah, I'll Mm-mm-mm. real briefly say how we do it. Sure, please. Because uh, you have to be a member to get your game play tested. And in order to be okay. a member, you have to come to three meetings 
Hmm. And then after that, you're a member and you start earning priority points. And so whoever has them, you essentially spend your priority points to play test your game. It, I like how you kind of have it with that open. I mean, it sounds like you guys have a lot or you folks over there uh, have a lot of um, kind of openness about it. Yeah, I mean, at the very start, we used to have like those kinds of points where it's how many person hours have you taken from the group? How many have you mm-hmm. given? And also giving people some points for being there early so that they could help us secure tables, giving That's people cool. points for um, RSVPing ahead of time and docking people points if they RSVP and then they don't turn up. Mm-hmm. We used to do that kind of thing, but then it became too much for one person to do this. And I think that if you make the points actually useful and functional, then it's too complex for one person to do. And on the other situation, I have seen some people do a really simplified version of points where it's like, these points alone aren't enough to stop it being abused. You have to have something else. You have to have some human understanding of, yes, I'm not going to do a five-hour five-player game and consider it one thing. Like there has yeah. to be some decency. And we ha- we never had a, you have to come to one play test before you test other people's things. Although sometimes it that feels like maybe at least one, that feels like a rule we should maybe adopt because there have definitely been situations of people coming to one te- play test and then they get their game play tested and they're like, oh, thank you so much. This was brilliant. <laughs> and they, we never see them again. Yeah. And we want to encourage people to show off their things. But also, if someone comes along and their game being playtested is the first exposure they've got to the feedback, they might be quite shocked with how horrible this feedback is. Because I remember one person coming along with a game that I'm not going to go into the details, but it was, to my mind, overcomplicated. And then someone else who was playtesting it gave them a lot of feedback, said, look, you've got this part of the game. This could be a great game. You've got this part. This could be a great game. And I would suggest actually you've not got one game. You've got two games. So good on you. But split it and refine it because they don't mash together. Mm-hmm. And then the person was so dejected that they never came again. It wasn't like, I think they, and you could see it. I don't know whether they took it personally or it was partially because they'd been working on this thing for years and years before showing it to other designers. And so I think people need to be prepared for that kind of thing To that. It's not just about enjoying your games. We are trying to be harsh so that we can make your games the best versions of themselves that they can be. Absolutely. I think my wife always tells me, the worst thing that someone could be towards you is indifferent. Mm, mm, mm. And so I think that same thing applies to our games that we design. You know, if you brought Mm. a game and you, you knew it was rough around the edges or your first time playing Mm -hmm. it and you showed it off and people were like, cool, that was a game. No feedback at all. That would be the worst feeling to me. Like harp on my game. You know, that would be a really bad play test. If you get yeah. no feedback and you're like, do I continue with it? Do I not continue with it? I have no idea what to do. <laughs> exactly. So when people pick apart your game, if they have ideas or say like, you know, this doesn't work, that means they're invested enough to 
try and help you get it to work. They want to see you succeed. There is definitely a point where if someone says, oh, that was a game. Well, if you're trying to make a game that's actually publishable, then clearly it's not good enough. Clearly, but it doesn't give you any guidance. And this is where at a certain point you are potentially looking at body language, looking at what parts people seem to like, what parts people are, if it's a strategic game, are they leaning forwards and thinking deeply? What parts do people mentally check out on if it's a party game? When do people exclaim and shout with excitement or whatever? And hopefully even a strategy game has some moments of excitement. Ha I managed to outwit you and you didn't see that coming. Or there's some cool cards that you managed to combo off. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You want to see that interaction that I love that point of, I mean, in person, I've done a little bit of online playtesting and you get valuable feedback, Mm -mm. but in person, seeing that engagement and seeing their body language, you can get just so much out of it. 100%. I mean, last year it was about the summer and I'd had a few months of trying to be helpful with Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia. I'd done stuff at Gilhova's um, playtest group, but it came to a point where I just realized this is just too draining for me. Partially because a lot of the games that I really enjoy or a lot of the games that I enjoy making might be physical, they might involve grabbing things, or they might involve making noises like my latest game. But, you know... Even just the act of going through that digital thing, it is a bit more draining compared to being able to look around an entire table, moving the things, and you know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And you just gave us the next segue into your next game, which I think is absolutely awesome. And I I had an idea of something we could do with this, maybe on this show, but... uh, I've got a deck of cards... If you want to try making a noise for it. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Totally. I was going to say that, well, first, this game. So it is called a a game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises. And that hopefully tells you all you need to know about the game. So there are some wee whimsical creatures and... I mean, some of them are vaguely cute. Some of them, some people think are a bit scary or horrifying. There's nothing adult. I mean, everything here I would happily show to my five-year-old relative. But I think that you probably want to be maybe eight years old or above to play, because I would say you want to firstly understand the way that real animals sound and then be able to use your creativity and imagination to say, Okay, for example, here's um, a thing that's vaguely like a tree, but it's furry and it's got loads of eyes and then it looks a bit mean. Maybe it's snarling. I don't know. But you might recognize that expression and it's got three mouths. How are you going to do that? Are you going to make three sounds with your mouth? Are you going to try and make three different pitches? And then I think you want to be... I've not done enough research to work out what's exactly the minimum age, but I would probably guess about eight-ish, but any age can probably play as long as you can count to five and make noises with your mouth. (laughs) And then someone makes noises, there's five of the creatures on the table, 
and other people guess which one it is. Yeah, I love it. It's uh, as soon as I saw it and read, I mean, just the name obviously tells me <laughs> everything I need to know. Uh, <laughs> I was like, this would be the perfect game to play with my eight-year-old nephew. Oh, I think he would absolutely love it. And he he's he loves board games, so he can play like more advanced games. But I think he could have played this at like six, maybe. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I might be over-egging it. It, it's all down to it's, the individual because exactly. especially people develop at such different ages. And I think the main restrictions are firstly, can you in your mind visualize what these things might sound like? And secondly, are you willing to be silly or have you kind of gotten into that adult stage where you're not wanting to make a fool of yourself? And <laughs> someone said, yeah, obviously at UK games expo where so if I may give a wee bit of the backstory about how the game was made. So um, yeah, it was in January and I did a quick game jam. I got one of my friends to come up with a bunch of prompts so I could share them with everybody just after seeing it myself. I wasn't getting any extra benefits. And one of, I think there were about seven prompts that we went with and it was like, use any of these prompts, whichever one excites you the most. And your game has to be playable on stream because we can't meet up in real life just now, but it has to be playable with one person on stream, that person on stream, which will be me, could be potentially printing something out or using additional components, but people who are playing along in the audience should be able to play along without printing anything out. They should just be able to type or do stuff like that. Then my idea was, hey, what if there is a game about making noises and you have to guess which creature made the noise and it was just from the i think it was just based on the prompt the sound of an animal and rather than going with real creatures i went with weird creatures i started off thinking okay people are going to draw these as part of the game so there was an additional setup phase where people had to draw them but then that all started on Saturday. By Sunday, I'd realized that, okay, actually, people drawing them takes too much time. It slows down the game. Really want pe- things to be drawn beforehand. And then by the end of the week, it had mutated marginally, but it was pretty much just in that initial inspiration of, let's just make a bunch of noises and guess <laughs> which of these animals made the noise. And then... When I first played it, I think it was actually Kelly Lee of the Game Cupboard and um, who said, oh, this is a great thing and even some of the creatures that you've drawn, it would be really cool to have them maybe to colour in or to use them for Dungeons and Dragons. This would be something that I would buy. And hearing someone actually say that, that's incredibly validating. And so flash forward a few months, I really wanted to do something for UK Games Expo. And, okay, when you make a 1,000 games, which is the number that you will probably have to do as a small self-publisher, it's, like, I've done more than that, but at any number, when you're doing hundreds or thousands, it's stress. Sure, you might have your Kickstarter, you might have paid for most of it, but then you have to work out, how am I going to sell the rest of it? Am I going to have to keep these for a year or two years before they sell out? Am I going to print 1,000 or 3,000? I don't know. 
am I going to be able to make my money back? And I was very much inspired by cheap ass games back in the day where James Ernst was making these tiny things for like three quid. And my games aren't going to require additional components the way that cheap ass games did. But what I'm thinking is that if I do 50 copies in a print-on-demand manner, then I can do that myself for just a bit under three quid, and then I can sell them to everybody else for five quid. I don't make I don't make much money on that, but hopefully I'll sell out because I don't have to print any more than I actually need. And so yeah. I went to UK Games Expo, I printed 50 copies. I've got like, um, I want to say four copies that I gave to very special people. Myself, the person who was working with me, um, McCall, who's one of my best friends, and two of the copies were given away in competitions to promote it. Oh, and one went to Kelly Lee, who was, and to say, yeah, please talk about this. And <laughs> then I sold out basically within a day of a three-day convention. And I kind of wish that had printed a hundred because I probably could have sold out despite stopping demoing it. And I wasn't like left high and dry without anything else to sell because then I started demonstrating Kitty Cataclysm and stuff from the L deck, which is lovely and people can still buy those. But in person, like there are sold out enough that I've got literally like 20 copies each. So I'm only selling them at conventions just to clarify that fact until they're reprinted. You can buy the print on demand version though, um, print and play. I mean, but with this, it's going to be Kickstarter um, to shameless plug. Um, 31st of August, and it's only going to be running for three days until the 3rd of September, because I'm hoping that by the end of that, I'll say, okay, here's the game, and it's going to be £5, but you need to pay the actual shipping cost. And that means that within the UK, it's going to be £3 shipping. To the USA, because of the way that shipping is currently, I'm going to go for economy shipping, which rather than taking two weeks, takes about two months. But it means that rather than being like £16, it's going to be about £6, if that makes sense. And so if you want to pay for it with just one copy, you might. I mean, because of, the again, the way that shipping works, I can generally send out four copies for not much more than the price of one. And then if I get to fifth, then it increases the size of the packet. So five is a bad number for me to sell, possibly. But I need to do some double checks with that. But... Yeah, if people want to sell, buy more than they can, and hopefully everyone will have had time to do that. And I'm going through like a community thing now of which are the best monsters, which ones should I keep? Because I want to make some new monsters to kind of update it slightly to say, okay, these are the monsters that people didn't like so much. Let's get rid of 16 of them. Let's make space for new ideas. And if someone wants to write out a description of something so incredibly zany, like a I, if you give me, I'm not going to make something look like you or look like your pet or do anything vulgar, if you know what I mean. But right. if someone says, hey, I really want to see an elephant, but instead of feet, every foot is a head. And instead of a trunk, it has a flower. I mean, that's just came to the front of my, if someone said, <laughs> if someone really wants me to draw that, then I will for a fee. And if someone, if people want to buy the original artwork, they can for a fee. 
or what I'm really excited about is that if people don't want the physical game or maybe they're in a place where it's a bit expensive, maybe you're in the USA and you're like thinking, that's going to cost 11 quid to get this game. I'm not too sure about it. And I totally get that. In which case, back it for any amount. Literally, if you back it for one pound, every backer will get the print and play version of the game. Oh, that is awesome. Thank you. I love that. Yeah. And how many cards are you shooting for? How big is the deck? So it's a small deck. It's 54 cards, but 40 of them are double-sided. So that means there's 80 creatures. Whoa. I mean, even even if it was just 40 unique creatures, that's still a, a huge load of work on you. So... I mean, I, th- these 80 creatures, I just basically, that was my life for two weeks. I was just kind of plowing through all of these and doing them. And I would wake up in the morning, I would spend all my energy, and that was me done for the rest of the day. And <laughs> But um, I am actually quite proud of how a lot of them turned out. And for sure, from a, again, this is, where I get into the nature of being a busy budget bag, there are aspects of it that I could look with an artistic eye and say, there's something really not so nice about that. Like some of the creatures have a, I did them on an off-white color and when scanning them in, it actually looked quite nice against the white to have this off-white color on the creature. Some of them I did on white paper, so they're just white, but I don't want to make it a big laborious thing that I spend months and months on. Do you know what I mean? I want it to be like, here's a bunch of things. And yes, some of the creatures have thicker black outlines and some of them are a little bit thinner and some of them look a little bit out of place. But hopefully it works. Everyone who's seen it has complimented. No, that's not true. I mean, a lot of people have seen it and (laughs) most people just say nothing or they, what, fine. But... I've had a lot of compliments about the arts and that makes me feel, wow, people are really digging this and that's just such a fantastic thing. And if this goes well, then potentially, yeah, this is just going to be 16 new creatures, but it's pretty much the same as the first version. This is just, I will print to demand. So if there's a hundred people that want it, there will be a hundred copies. If there's a thousand people that want it, then I'll do a thousand copies. But it will take me time to fulfill all that. And so I will be very upfront and say, I'm only going to be fulfilling like a hundred or so of these every month. And so there'll be like pledge tier levels where it says these ones, I'm going to fulfill these in September. These ones I'll probably do in October. These ones I'll ship out in November. And I'll kind of do it in a vague order so that, yeah, at, especially if you're doing it yourself. Once you've done more than 200, stuffing a thing into an envelope and writing an address on it, it gets really, really tiring. I don't know if you've ever written that many envelopes in one sitting. No. <laughs> that is a like, lot of work to take on by yourself, too. So Yeah, like I do have the potential to ask a friend to help me out, which, again, goes to the point where I need to think, yes, even if it costs, um, let's say, £1.75 for Royal Mail within the UK, plus 25 pence for that, plus 5 pence, I'm going to round it up to £3 and give myself, like, 30 pence. Because, like, 
yes, there is labour involved in doing this. And yeah, I hope that people understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to play it right now? Just maybe do like two or three cards and you could either, well, we could each take a turn. I could try and do the sound for it and you can try and do a sound for them. Well, I tell you what, let's actually play a game. So I am, people at home won't be able to see, but wait, I should do the vertical ones. So can you see? Oh yeah, okay. Okay, so we have, do you want to describe these creatures left to right? Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) You've got this four-legged creature with maybe like a spider top almost (laughs) big open mouth uh one eye beautiful then there's a almost easter island type Mm. block is how i would say it's got a nose on there and then it's got i don't know how many eyes i'm not gonna count that fast like 24 ish 24 exactly it's a four yes (laughs) <laughs> Four by six grids of eyes. It kind of looks a bit to me like a calculator and it's got two mouths and two wings. That was my first thought was like a calculator. Yeah, and it has a <laughs> has the little wings kind of where ears would be almost or arms depending on, I don't know, and two mouths. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> then <laughs> this one just looks like a post with a round circle with just jagged teeth, sharp teeth in the middle. Uh and and like a little cap coming off of it. <laughs> and drool. I think I see drool. Yeah, there's meant to be a lot of drool and a bit of spittle coming yes. out of the thing. <laughs> I think there's even grass at the bottom. So it, it yeah. totally could just be like either a stone coming out of the ground or or a post. That's interesting. I was thinking of like a giant worm, I think. But oh. no. And maybe in person, I could see a little more of the detail, too. But, mm. I mean, that's kind of the fun thing, right? It's, it's Yeah, like all the different interpretations, exactly. Yeah. Because it could totally be made of stone. Why not? Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> you've got this cube with very, like, square teeth, open mouth that's almost the entirety of the, the <laughs> one of the sides, uh, and a square tongue coming out. And I think it has three eyes, like one on a yeah. corner, one on top, and then one on another corner. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, this last one. I love this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hooves. It's like horse legs that are facing backwards. So almost like you'd be lo- looking at the backside of a horse. <laughs> and then, but that's the front is is that part. And then there's a big head with three eyes. And to like the movie Alien, how the alien has the the tongue with teeth with another head inside. I found out recently it's actually called a pharyngeal joy. And a moray has a pharyngeal joy, a moray eel. It's a Whoa. real thing. I did not know that. I just found out actually, I think like a week before drawing these things. So I was like, oh, oh wow. My gosh. That- <laughs> and so I, I had to it. make it even more fantastical so there's two pharyngeal jaws <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I can't even pronounce that and I'm not even going to try <laughs> but two of those and I love it and I I can't tell if those are wings it's on the very edge of the screen yeah those are wings right 
Yeah, it's meant or to have fins. like a little wingy thing on the side, and yeah. it's got three like toady eyes and a lot of boils. But yes. yeah, hopefully there's enough. There's not loads of detail on these, but hopefully there's enough to get you thinking. And yeah, I did do all of them. I do all of them in a kind of creative, fiery rush. But <laughs> so the way the game works, I've drawn a card. It's got a number on it, and we're going to call them one, two, three, four, five, in the order that you describe them. I'm going to make a noise, and then you're going to have to ponder and tell me which one you think I was making the noise of. Yes. Okay, my noise is going to be... <laughs> oh my goodness i love this and i feel like i i have it down to two i feel like <laughs> which ones are you thinking i'm thinking the four-legged thing with the spider head or the hoof one i think mm-hmm. it's the four le- i think it's number one well you can see that i'm flipping over the top cards of the deck and it was Number one. (laughs) So normally, if you have four players, the way it would work is that everyone votes with a number of fingers simultaneously to say which one they think it is. And then if you are part of the majority, you get a point. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. You are part of the majority. So clearly you made a sensible vote, if that makes sense. Secondly, the person who made the noise reveals which one it actually was. Either they managed to get the majority to be correct, in which case they were a good noisemaker, congratulations, they get a point, or it was not the majority, in which case they do not get a point, but anyone else who was correct also gets a point. So most rounds, the majority of people are always going to get a point, it goes the original instructions, which I printed um, last month, said, I think, 4 to 10-ish. But I want to reduce that maybe. I think 4 to 8 is the real number. I think, um, yeah, you, I played it with 12, I want to say. And at 12, it starts to be slightly annoying having to count out which one is actually the majority and keeping track of everyone's scores mm. is a bit much. But if you don't mind that, or if people are keeping track of their own, then fine, that's also cool. It's just a, hey, there's five people voting for that. Oh, wait, there's six people voting for that. And having to take like 10 seconds to count, even though it's not much, it kind of slows it down a little beyond where it's meant to be. The other way that you can play is... At UK Games Expo, I was just saying, okay, we win, and then we'll go through and play a couple of rounds and see if we got it correct. We'll get to a point. If we got it wrong, we lose a point. But I've actually just, the start of the week, um, been experimenting with an additional cooperative mode where the idea is that you'd start a second row of creatures. So you would actually start creature number six, seven, eight, nine, and then even go up to 10. 
And so what that means is that you've got more creatures to choose from, so it gets trickier and trickier. And can you get all the way from five to ten without messing up? Oh, I love it. That's a really cool idea to do a co-op mode. Do you want to have one go yourself? And I will shuffle these cards and get you to look at one without me seeing okay. it. got it. Okay, so I have... Um, replaced the two that you talked about so the spidery thing is now um something with one two three four five mouths and two eyes and it's very furry and it's has two hands instead of feet number five is now replaced with it i don't know how it's got five hands um three on one side and two that are just underneath it slip for some weird reason it's got chicken feet and a giant mouth and that's screaming i shouldn't maybe saying that word gives you a bit too much information on what noise i probably shouldn't have said that (laughs) well it's a good description it almost looks like the bart simpson choke where the tongue i think that's Mm. the tongue where the tongue is like waving out of it i mean it's meant to be like my art does have like i do have limitations of how well i can draw but People seem to understand what things are meant to be. So that's sort of the main point. I think they are all so beautiful. Like even with even if you didn't play this game, just cycling through these like to look at the artwork. <laughs> it's almost like I'm not a huge Mysterium fan, but I absolutely love those cards. Like owning that game worth just for those vision cards for me is worth it. Oh wow. But that's it's amazing to be compared to Mary Cadouet, I think it is, who does that and dicks it. I have a lot of respect for all her stuff. And yeah, but yeah, are you ready with your noise? Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's see how this goes. That's it. Mm. Could we hear it one more time? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to firstly turn them round to face me. (laughs) Um, I definitely... I feel... Like, I could sort of get a sense of the giant cube sort of being a bit choky. Kind of, maybe the giant cube is having trouble breathing, or maybe the furry creature, but or the wormy one. But I'm going to go with the furry creature. Ah, it... no. <laughs> oh, which one was it? It was the worm. <laughs> Oh, it was the wormy one. Ah, oh, I was gosh. almost visualizing that mouth and just like kind of drool. I should have started actually drooling. I just don't have any <laughs> napkins around me or towels. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Uh, but do you yeah, find? That... I tried not to like uh, use body language, but mm. in your game, can people use body language too? Or so do you the try intention to is. It's hard to avoid it. That's the thing. Like yeah. people end up going ah and or ah, and it's like you see their face taking on the face of the creature, and especially if you're playing with kids, I would just say go for it and let them do whatever. But if you 
start finding that you are getting it almost every time, then at that point, I would say, okay, maybe even turn your back to the person or (laughs) when they're doing it or something or have them cover their face or something. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I think my mouth, I tried to simulate because it's like, that was the only one with like an O for a mouth. And so I was like, oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it so much. Oh, thank you very much. And, (laughs) I am hoping that people do have fun with it and of it's a weird one because of the nature of what it is I, I'm not really hoping I'm not hoping to get thousands of backers or anything I would be very happy well having said that if I get thousands of one pound backers I would be very happy with that because that um, if I get a thousand backers at one pound then hopefully they consider it good value you've got one pound print and play and for me personally i've got a thousand pounds that's amazing minus the kickstarter pledges and everything but also that means that um yeah hopefully they have fun with it and it's not all the stress if i get a thousand backers of the real thing i'm going to have to say well even if i do 200 every month which is quite a commitment I'm, that's still going to take me five months, which is a good chunk of my life. And I'm not sure I'm totally down for that. So what I would say is that if we get beyond so many physical copies, there might be a boxed version at some point if it looks like there is demand. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And maybe for that version, whereas this version, it's basically 64 old. So... um mainly old with a little bit of new. Maybe the next one will be like, okay, you'll get two boxes and one of them will be like all new creatures and it'll be like 80 creatures. So if you've got the old one, just buy the new thing and everyone else just buy both of them because, yeah, I was, again, this is where people keep saying we would like to see more creatures and my favourite one and one of someone else's um, is the little hand with hands. I'm going to try and find this. And I apologize to the listeners. This will not be interesting at all. But there we go. <laughs> There's, it's kind of like a hand, like the Adams Family hand. Oh, but yeah. But it has two mouths and an eye. But then each of the fingers has a little hand at the bottom. I love that. That is so cool. Thank you very much. It's one of my personal <laughs> favorites because I started doing the hands and I was like oh this isn't weird enough I need to add more hands <laughs> oh I love that it they are all so charming and I also love that they're black and white or you know they can be off white too a little bit but <laughs> but I, I just love that they're did you plan on coloring them no actually okay. <laughs> the reason that I specifically left it black and white is because I got feedback that people would like them to be black and white because when I was doing them with the prototype back in January, February, I had a bunch of people saying, actually, I would really like these as cards and then I would be able to color in the cards. And one person at UK Games Expo said, hey, are you planning to, I think at least two people asked me at UK Games Expo, and then one person asked me just today on Twitter, are you planning to make a coloring book? 
was thinking to which the same I say, thing. No, yeah. because that's another thing to me. That's more stress. But again, if you paid me one pound, you can get all the files and you can get that for your own personal use. Do what I mean. Don't be selling it to other people or giving it away. I will be annoyed with you. Like it's not like I could really stop you if you were a jerk and you wanted to do that. But please don't. And yeah. so. If you want to take it and then you want to, you know, make a coloring book for yourself with it, then go ahead and print it out, color in your favorite things. And someone at UK Games Expo, I said, well, why don't you just color in the cards? And they said, oh, that feels wrong. It's a board game. <laughs> and I said, well, why would you color in the book? They said, well, coloring in books are meant to be colored in. To which I said, well, what if I wrote on one of the cards, you are allowed to color in these cards as a designer would that solve the issue and they said actually it would and so (laughs) i spent an extra like couple of minutes writing on the first card saying you are allowed to color in all these things also please show me how they look (laughs) and i would love to see if people end up coming up with something and how they yeah color them in i would love to see that i mean it's not a pricey game I could totally see buying this for like each of my nieces and nephews and being like, hey, there's this game, but also you can color them. And now you've customized your deck. Like your Mm. deck is going to look different from your sister's deck and your nephew or your cousin's deck, you know, like, and I don't know how I should say, I don't know how all the different coloring and things are going to adhere to the thing. If you know what I mean? So Permanent markers do work really well, obviously. But um, want children to play with permanent markers. That's the thing. <laughs> Coloring in pencils or crayons might just um, pencils might be a little bit challenging. Crayons might end up smudging a little bit more than you would want because it is slightly um, glossier than you would get on normal coloring in paper. And I'm just going to point that out. But I still think that if you, I think felt tips, as long as you leave it to dry before you mix them all together, should be okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we are, I I assume you've got to go pretty soon Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, I should really be going. I do apologize. No, that's okay. Do you have... Can you go over real quick side hobbies outside of board games? Yes. Um, so I love um, dancing and cycling. Before the pandemic, I went every week to swing dancing. Oh, I was planning to do more social swing dancing, which was in addition to the classes that I would take. So I'd, but just the classes for two hours every week it would be such a good, fun workout. And then... We had such a fun teacher as well. And yeah, with the warm up, by the end of the warm up, you just feel a little bit better about life. Do you know what I mean? And then having that human connection. But right now, holding hands with strangers is not something that's socially responsible, let's say, which is incredibly unfortunate. The other passion that I have is of cycling. Now, I'm not a good cyclist in that. I'm not a cyclist who says, I'm going to go here just for the sake of it. I'm going to cycle around the um, this tour and then I'm going to come back. I don't do any of that. I just cycle when I need to get to places. But I do really enjoy cycling because like on Monday, I went to 
a friend. We ended up playing a few games together, one of which was a game about we whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises, where we started. Um, I think we got up to eight quite easily, um, which I was quite proud of with the co-op modes that I just invented right there. But um, cycling, it was a couple of hours, and cycling through the gardens, oh, around the perimeter of London, you'd be surprised how rural it seems. Once you get 10 miles away from the centre, it can actually, you can find cows in London. It's amazing. And so it was just seeing all these sites. That's one of my favourite things. And the feeling of self-powered, the feeling of achievement that you actually got somewhere and listening to podcasts, of course, while I'm cycling. I love it. That's awesome. And obviously I love podcasts. So (laughs) (laughs) ridiculous theme. Do you want to do a ridiculous theme real quick? You came up with like two other ones already. (laughs) How about a pelican that's trying to go apple dunking? So it's about um, apple dunking, but then you have the added limitations of being a pelican that's kind of trying to get its entire head underwater. So you need to construct an extra long thing that will be the perfect length for the pelican. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. I love this idea. (laughs) I don't know where it goes, but maybe, yeah, I don't know. Do you think any of these ridiculous themes are ever going to inspire anybody? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Some people say they want to make it after they say it. They're like, you know what? That's ridiculous. But as I say it out loud... (laughs) <laughs> it's starting to sound fun. <laughs> uh, I've had actually my one of the one that I had play tested was inspired by a ridiculous theme. Amazing. Sometimes. Yeah, I think out. just keeping these ideas going and I think being free to discard the ideas and that is one really good method to stimulate and keep your creativity. Exactly. Do you have improv training? Um, I did do improv as part of a university group for one year. This was actually after I left university, but I, they were allowed a number of non-students and you only had to pay, I think, like five pounds for the entire year. It was amazing. And then, yeah, it was part of the student theatre at Glasgow. That's what it was called. I got to be the crazy rabbit for Pinocchio. And we did a lot of improv, which I just adore. Having that, what are you going to do now? What? And actually, you know what? We talked about other hobbies. I didn't even mention music. I can't believe I didn't. I love improvising music. I played the piano actually fairly well. And I played the trumpet terribly. And I played the drums um, to a mediocre level. And I did, um, technically, I have played the piano professionally, and um, I taught it to one person professionally, but uh, and I played the trumpet as part of a much bigger brass band, which meant that even though I'm only able to play maybe three or a very small register, if you know what I mean, because when you're with the trumpet, you need to actually get good muscle control to play the higher notes. Mm. And so... And also the lowest notes. But yeah, as part of a big group, I managed to play as part of the Olympics when it came to the UK. Whoa, that is awesome. Yeah, I was super privileged to. And like, we just, 
Brassai, it's called in Glasgow. Shout out to them. Just a lovely group where they embrace you. And even if you're not very good, they say, okay, here's a really simple part that you can probably play. And just learn this these like four notes in th- these particular orders. So you don't need to remember too much. It's really, really good. That is awesome. <laughs> well, it has been an absolute blast having you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on and keep up the great work with your show. Thank you. Do you want to plug your stuff? Plug where people can find you? See your okay, work? Um, work? Yes. I am going to set up a redirect. So if you go to stuffbybez.com, S-T-U-F-F-B-Y-B-E-Z. So the way to remember that is I am Bez and I make stuff and that stuff is by me. And so I don't know if that needed explaining, but yeah, (laughs) stuffbybez.com is my website. And if you do slash slash KS or slash Kickstarter, I will redirect to the page until my next one so that's all be redirected to my latest thing and also on twitter i'm stuffed by bears on instagram i'm stuffed by bears twitch and youtube i'm stuffed by bears facebook search for stuffed by bears the page is actually called things by bears because of the way that things used to be i wasn't able to get the name but oh dang it almost almost so uniform throughout all (laughs) (laughs) exactly but it has been a delight. And yeah, if people are excited to play a game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises, then please check out the Kickstarter from 31st August to 3rd of September. Perfect. And I will post those links in the show notes or, or information in the show notes. So you can always check that on Twitter. But I mean, just go follow Bez because she is... Phenomenal. Just an absolute delight to follow. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. I have been your host, Riley Stock. You can follow me at Nerd Out With Us or email me at theboardgamecommunityshow at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show, you can always email me or at me or DM me on Twitter, whatever you want. Or if there's somebody that you think would be an awesome guest or somebody in the community that you would love to hear on the show, just let me know and I will reach out to them. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review. That would be much appreciated. It would help the show get seen a little more. I know it's a very niche show. You know, we're not focused on necessarily board games, though we talk about board games plenty. It's more focused on people in the community and highlighting these awesome people in the community. So if you think that's a worthy thing to do, share it around. Tell your friends about it. I'm happy to report that I did try Go, kind of. I found some online stuff that kind of ran you through some exercises that helped me understand kind of the core concept of the game. And it was really fascinating. So I just wanted to add that in. As always, a lot of the things we talked about in the episode are in the episode description of the podcast, and it includes links now. I changed how I did it, so now you can just look and it lines up with... uh, The link will be after whatever it lines up with. I organize it all nice when I put in the description, but for whatever reason, when it goes into the podcasting app, 
it makes it all cluttered together. Uh, there's going to be the GoFundMe for Rick Lorenzen's family, stuffbybez.com. Tomorrow, from the day this airs, so there's a good chance a lot of you listening, this will be in the past, but Protocon Online is Saturday, August 28th. Very, very exciting. Hop on, check it out, go to the Discord, join us. Even if you hear this after, you can join up and you'll get to hear about the upcoming Protocon, which is a playtesting event that happens in person. It was my very first convention back just before the pandemic started, like the month or month and a half before the pandemic started. Definitely awesome. And then there will also be more Protocon Onlines, hopefully, if this all goes well, which slots are filling up and games are filling up. So it should be a good time. Lori from Stop, Drop, and Roll Studios. He was a guest a couple episodes ago, and their game Earth Rising is now live, and it is over 58%. It might be near 60% funded. They're on track to get funded and, and go above their goal, which is really exciting. So go check that out on Kickstarter. Same with Fabrizio Leoti's game, Hyper Wars. That should be coming out in the near future. I think it's next week. That is it. Until next time, keep nerding out.